Welcome to Ensuring Your Infrastructure Can Support a Remote Workforce, Telemedicine, and Dramatically Increased Patient Load, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Nutanix. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. Uh, we have some audience opportunities for audience participation. Uh, you can send in your questions and comments as they occur to you. We'll take um, them later in the program. We're going to do a little poll later. Uh, we're looking forward to. I'd like to give you, get you the view that I like, get you into the view that I like. So here's a few settings you might want to adjust. Number one, at the top of your screen there, you have a little view options drop down. Click on side-by-side -side mode have that checked off. Then you can slide your uh, screen divider over to the left to make the video boxes larger. And if you see it saying speaker view in the top, that's the view you want to be in. If it says gallery view, click it once and you get in speaker view. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time. First, we're going to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our panel discussion featuring Nick Fuchs, Enterprise Architect and Senior Director of IT Infrastructure, Service Delivery and Security with the Springfield Clinic, Tilden Canaster, Senior Infrastructure Architect with Optum, and Cheryl Rodenfeld, CTO, the Americas with uh, America's Healthcare with Nutanix. Then we'll have our audience Q&A. So let's jump right in. Um, Nick, I want to start with you. Can you give me an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. So, so starting with the role first, um, kind of in a unique role here, uh, dual threading as a enterprise architect and kind of hands-on senior director over the infrastructure team, um, our end-user service, service service delivery team, um, and security team here um, at Springfield Clinic. Uh, Springfield Clinic is, um, I would say, a unique organization. Um, we're, um, we're about 3,500 staff um, in about 50 locations across all of Illinois, um, based out of Springfield. Um, it's a provider-owned and run clinic, um, and it's not a hospital, which is a, a clear distinct, uh, distinction in, 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 this, um, in, in this industry. Um, and we have services ranging from primary care to ambulatory surgery to urgent cares to all types of specialty practices, and um, it gives us a keeps us uh keeps us on our toes supporting all those different use cases and 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 trying to find solutions to, to to meet meet those requirements so very good thanks tilden yeah tilden Kanatzer, um senior infrastructure architect with optum uh formerly davita medical group um i think we're now the largest ambulatory medical provider uh in the country so very large um, the optum part is new to me, um, so uh, we do also urgent cares as well. But uh, that's, that's, that's the overview. Okay, all right, very good, Cheryl. Yeah, hi, Cheryl Rodenfels, uh, CTO of Healthcare for uh, Nutanix. I am a former Nutanix customer while I was the CIO at Presence Health, and my role today is to help our healthcare customers with solutions that improve their organizations, um, help them save money, and get the innovation <laughs> and the drive that they need. All right, excellent. Let's uh, jump right into it. Nick, let me start with you. How has the pandemic affected uh, your organization, and what are the things, some of the things that you've done uh, to deal with it? Sure. Um, so, so first, first and foremost, obviously, the most obvious one is, is just uh, stress testing that remote capability and, and, and getting a swiftly getting a remote workforce that um, that wasn't typically uh, used to working from home or had any policies around working from home or, or really uh, had tested an infrastructure to support work from home. Um, thankfully, uh, coming in here, um, I've, I've only one thing to point out, I've only been here um, I was only here about three and a half months at the start of this pandemic um, and I've been here uh, about five and a half now. Um, but <clears throat> coming in here um, and thankfully uh, we had a project going on to move our EHR system, which involved um, a major overhaul of our end user computing um, infrastructure, um, which from the time I walked in here, that kind of fell on my lap and, and, um, and, uh, and having to find a solution from start to finish. And that's where Nutanix came in. Um, we had just rebuilt our entire end user computing platform, all of our desktop imaging, 
all of our um, remote capability, uh, we had just refreshed that entire infrastructure, which if we hadn't, to be honest with you, we wouldn't have been able to really be able to support this, uh, this the, the, stress, the, the stress of uh, getting, you know, uh, almost five, 600 support, um, support staff working from home. Um, so, so, so that piece of it uh, really helped out um, having to do a, a, a EHR migration. Um, and then I think from a business perspective or, or a clinical perspective, you know, we saw a huge drop in patient care um, in terms of people wanting to come and, and being that we're not a hospital. Um, we sure we saw about 85 to 90% drop in, in patient visits um, during, you know, a month period there. So there was a big push from the provider staff saying, how do we, how do we, how do we keep these, how do we keep, keep up patient care? How do we get these patients in here that are critical patients? They had stopped elective, elective surgery. And that's where a telehealth platform came into play. And finding a solution for a telehealth platform um, was a major drive. Um, and there, there's a, there's, there was a telehealth project in place that was going on for about six to 12 months, which had no clear, clear set direction. It was kind of not a priority, but um, we always laugh because there's this, there's this um, meme going around that says, uh, who led the digital transformation of your company? And it's like CEO, CTO, CIO, and then it's COVID-19. And there's a big check mark mm. next to COVID-19. So, mm -hmm. you know, so I would say, you know, the answer to answer the question, um, it, it's really, you know, other than, you know, the challenge and the human challenges of, of, uh, of, of the situation, um, I would say it's really transformed our organization, pushed us forward into the future in terms of supporting, you know, getting remote work policies in place, advancing our, you know, work from home culture, getting telehealth projects, advancing our technology. It's really been, um, you know, a tremendous push forward. And, and I think it really shined a light on, on the value of technology and um, IT in, in our day-to-day, -day, um, uh, you know, day-to-day -day going about how we, how we do our jobs in the clinical space, so. Right, so as we, you know, we're down 85%. Um, we want to be able to care for these patients. We also want to be able to stay in business which means we need to be able to do to to it, it kills two birds with one stone, so to speak. You sure. can take care of your patients and stay in business. That all became billable, right, with the relaxations on telehealth and all that. So now it's Nick and IT team set us up to do this, and but then then there's the part of actually getting the patients to be comfortable with it and all that. Sure. But is that sort of what the conversation was like, Nick? Make this happen. We need for this to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, the, the conversation was, how do we, we need a platform now. Um, a, how do we keep our, how do we keep our team operational, right? How do we have our, our you know, essential workers and our essential support teams and, uh, HR and, you know, all the other pieces that are involved in keeping the organization running. How do, how do we get that done? And then the second part of that is how do we continue to see patients? We need to find a solution now. Um, and it needs to be operational and we need to have everyone onboarded in two to three weeks. And, and mind you, this is a probably six to 12 month project. And, you know, um, we banded together with the team and, you know, putting crazy, crazy amount of effort and hours. Um, and we not only did we get, you know, I think it was upwards of five to 600 employees working from home over the course of two weeks. Um, we also um, we also were able to stand up a telehealth platform from from scratch, essentially, um, uh, using a multitude of technologies, building some in-house um portals and, and, and um, invite systems around that um, really was a, a tremendous uplift. And, um, and, we, and we met the demands of the business. Uh, and, you know, I think um, our, our team here has been super appreciative of that and, and really acknowledging the effort that, that's been put in by the entire IT team here. So. And you're saying if you didn't have that foundation, in this case provided by Nutanix, you would not have been able to layer on these things on top. 100%. I mean, I, I think, I, you know, I reached out to David, um, David Kramer, who's our, uh, who's our account rep, uh, just thanking him for, you know, for, for helping us get this in here in such a quick amount of time. And that's a whole nother story um, about how we kind of transformed, um, there's another crazy timeline, how we transformed our kind of uh, our virtual computing and user, and user computing uh, environment in, you know, another six month, six month pro uh, project in, in six weeks, essentially, in between getting from end to end, standing up an entire enterprise and user computing environment in six weeks um, to, to support this EHR migration. It just happened to the situation had played out and we've had, we built it scalable enough and um, 
flexible enough to support an influx of remote workers. So. All right. Very good. Very good. Next question. I'm going to go uh, start with Tilden on this. Uh, many of the things, uh, you know, that Nick talked about that health systems have done to deal with COVID-19 involve extending the enterprise. Um, and that involves both allowing people to work remotely, but also treating patients remotely. And that requires, as he said, network and bandwidth capacity. Uh, how much is enough and what is the fastest and most affordable way to get more? How much is enough bandwidth for network? Uh, there's never enough, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, we saw a lot of strain uh, on that, obviously, with VPN and um, people moving remote. And um, we were lucky to have a pair of uh, a pair of uh, VPN uh, concentrators that we were not in production that we could add on to. But yeah, it was a it was a huge uh, strain on the network. Um, you know, for our biggest markets as well as our smallest ones. So it had a, it had a, a, a big impact. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if there's a, a, a perfect answer for that one, but I think, you know, the, the fastest, most affordable way to get more, uh, um, I'm, I'm stumbling on this one. Sorry. All right. Let's have Cheryl bail you out. Cheryl. I'll help you out. One of the things that we saw, um, and, and this goes to what Nick was saying too, about they stood up their telehealth real quickly. Um, they probably hadn't had bandwidth or were thinking about that because that is a, a big bandwidth um, use. But one of the things that we've seen our customers do, first things first, um, instead of having all those services that come through you, you control the internet access and going back out, is stripping out the things that could go directly to the internet or the, to the cloud, because all of a sudden you're not managing that traffic. So whether it's split tunneling, um, what it really allows you to do is free up things, but hospitals like to be in control of that. And so that's something you can do pretty much without any money. Um, the next thing is uh, really managing your workloads. And that's one of the things about a Nutanix environment is you can take a look at your workloads and prioritize uh, who gets the access, right? So if you have some lesser applications that may not be as important right now, let's go ahead and focus on uh, expanding the capabilities of the ones that do, um, especially because you can manage and monitor whether you need more storage or less storage, you need more computer or less compute. So I, I always recommend looking at what you have and uh, reducing the priority on the things that just may not be as important right now because um, you do have priorities. If it was getting telehealth out, if it was getting more space for VDI, um, you have to have that flexibility to meet those needs. And, you know, as Nick said, you had to go fast. So um, I think that's where your engineering and your architect brain comes in and says, okay, how can we rearrange this? Now, once we do that, let's, we can add back capacity through regular channels of ordering or provisioning um, to revamp and re-add those services that are, uh, again, less priority. Yeah. Anthony, I'd like, I like to just add... There, Cheryl. <laughs> I'd like to just add to that a little bit, too. I mean, I think you hit on something really, really important there is, is just understanding your workloads, right? Um, understanding the workloads on where you know, what your requirements are. And I think the answer to this question is, is, is just, it, it varies so much um, on, based on that organization, the workloads, are you, are people doing Teams collaboration software over a VPN? Are you direct, are they installing the Teams app directly from their home workstations, which I think you said from your splitting that out, making them, you know, if you're, you're hitting bandwidth capacity requirement, you know, um, capabilities, um, splitting that out so they're, they're running the team's client directly from their home workstation or in directly through their own personal internet circuit, things like that. And um, the most affordable way uh, to get more to is uh, you know, just to add something there um, from our perspective is um, building deeper partnerships with vendors. And I, this is just more than just a network and bandwidth capacity piece. Um, there's been so much support from the technical um, partnerships that we've had with, with a lot of technology companies just jumping into, Hey, we'll up your bandwidth or we'll 
or we'll give you more licensing for this, that, the other thing, just to support you for 90 days. And that's been an eye-opening um, experience for, for me from, from, from just the support that these vendors came out of the woodwork that I hadn't even had any interactions with yet, that didn't have any relationship with saying, hey, what can we do to help? And I think Nutanix uh, has been one of those, uh, they sent us a, a 100, a 200 masks, N95 masks with some kits and just having those partnerships come through. And I don't want to, digress off, off topic here, but um, mm -hmm. just right. building those partnerships are, have been huge for us and supporting us, um, you know, and supporting us in any, in, in any way they possibly can. And, and, and how do you get that quickly and, and affordably is just, you know, those building those strong partnerships and having, having good partners support your organization is key. So. You know, Nick, I just want to ask you something. Um, there's been a lot on social media about this from it executives, uh, so, you know, they talk about their, you know, vendors that have done it right. And there's a lot of complaints out there about vendors that have been aggressive from a sales point of view with IT executives at this time. Uh, uh, almost a hypersensitivity among folks in your position. Sure. Uh, you know, people talking about making lists and, and remembering the names and all this. Where do you come down on that whole thing about how, how you want vendors to approach you and interact with you? Obviously, Nutanix has done it well. Um, have you seen it done wrong recently? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's always, it's always going to be a mixed bag there. Um, you know, and, and you got to keep in, keep into account. I I've been on the vendor side of it. So, you know, you know, it's a struggle to get those communications out there and you're trying to find creative ways to reach out, um, and, and really engage someone and get them looped into your service and see the value of your service. So there's always a challenge there in communicating. Um, and it does get frustration because there is, you know, a lack of sensitivity to the subject and lack of understanding and awareness um, of what these IT organizations are going through. Some of these IT organizations are being furloughed and, and being cut. And last thing you want is someone, you know, flooding your inbox with, hey, buy this service, check this out. And, and I think the, the, the recommendation I would make is just to understand the sensitivity of the situation, understand, you know, try to have some self-awareness of how you how you might be coming off to someone in you know, the range of situations that could be possible outcomes of how COVID-19 has impacted an organization at this point in time. Um, Good so, point. so I would just, you know, just factor it in. And, and I think taking a, a humanitarian approach like Nutanix did and, and building, you know, finding this as an opportunity to actually genuinely help, it's mm -hmm. going to build a stronger partnership in the future. Um, and, and, and it's an opportunity to enhance your relationship with the organization and drive future business through, just genuine support. And I think that's, you know, what's been impressive with Nutanix, with Microsoft, we've had um, Avaya and our Windstream vendor come in and say, hey, we got you on 90 day soft phone licenses. There's no cost associated with that. We're gonna cover you. Just things like that to help get our remote workforce going and keep our operation running. It's been, I mean, I can't say enough good things, you know, about that kind of support. And, and that's just gonna build us, you know, strengthen that relationship moving forward, so. Um, that Very would be good. my recommendation. So, appreciate you addressing that. Um, next question, and let's go with Cheryl on this. Let's start out with Cheryl. What does it take to move non-IT and non-laptop users home? You know, many times, you know, my house, the kids are on, you know, some remote stuff to teleteaching, um, so there can be uh, family computers and adequate bandwidth. Uh, so, your thoughts there, Cheryl? So this is one of the things when asked, what are some of the challenges we look at? Um, a lot of hospitals, it, your IT staff might have laptops and some of your administrators, but most of the staff, you've gone to either small form factor PCs or thin clients, because um, if you're not in IT, most of the other employees in your organization come in, they're knowledge workers, they do their work and they go home and they have, you know, consumer appropriate IT at home. They might have a laptop or a desktop that they share, like you said, Anthony, you know, with three kids and a hamster. And mm -hmm. you have bandwidth that's appropriate for your watching cable or streaming Netflix, um, but they don't have IT grade services. So a lot of organizations have had to hurry up and figure out what can we do quickly and it really is a, a different approach. Um, Nick had mentioned it, and I know Tilden has gone through this, um, where what devices can we get in their hands while we maintain our security, but we make it easy for them. 
So getting them, uh, again, can they take their equipment from home, knowing that if they have Epic or Meditech, that uh, when they put the devices back, whenever they come back to work, uh, all the printer mapping has to be right. And um, I, I think the other thing that uh, folks have had to deal with is remote access sometimes doesn't look like it does while you're at the office. And they're again, they're not IT staff. So they're trying to figure out uh, what buttons do I have to push mm-hmm. to make this work? So a lot of the vendors have done some really great things. We have a desktop as a service product called Xiframe, um, and you can spin up a desktop pretty quickly as a web service so that you don't have to have it on a physical computer. But really working with your partners uh, to do some creative things where um, can you work through just your, your office products that are online? Can you do the web version of it? And I think the other thing is getting quick access to either dropping a VPN client on a home computer or getting folks inexpensive um, small form factor PCs and monitors and things they can take home. I know uh, both Nick and Tilden had talked about um, getting soft phones and these other things. So quickly, uh, you have to figure out what are your, your requirements, bandwidth, access, do I need a computer, do I need a monitor, and then really pack, packaging it up and getting it out there. And then I think probably the most creative thing I've heard is working with somebody like uh, Best Buy or Fry's or um, Amazon to create a SKU that says, this is our work from home SKU, order it and it will be delivered because people were uh, just trying to get the equipment there as fast as possible. And especially if they're spread out through a a good geographic area, um, everybody's been really creative, but that's, that's what we've seen. Um, And then people calling to see what access they could increase even temporarily with their existing home bandwidth. I can definitely talk a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, I can definitely talk a little bit about that. We we had a really big struggle on trying to. We have a lot of workers that don't have devices that needed access, and um, unfortunately, we're in in the middle of doing a POC with Frame, so we haven't had it implemented. If we did, it would have been so simple to be able to scale that infrastructure out to provide uh, as many laptops as we wanted quickly. And then not have that bandwidth hit, as we talked about later, where, you know, we see tons of struggle with bandwidth because of, you know, sessions and VPN. What we ended up having to do is really increase uh, an old Citrix environment and do published desktops, which, once again, put a strain on our infrastructure. It it definitely uh, got us through, um, but it it wasn't the most ideal situation where, you know, using frame and it being uh, up in Azure, it would have a zero impact on our on our existing bandwidth and would have been able to uh, let us take care of that a, a lot easier. So it was unfortunate timing, but uh, it, we're definitely putting it in place. It's a great product. Nick, anything you want to add? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think Cheryl hit on a lot of it. Is it, you know, I think one of the one of the other challenges that was um, very difficult to navigate was finding hardware, right? Um, and finding hardware and devices and, and just being able to grab anything that was out there and make it work. Um, we, we, we basically, um, we, we came up with a, several uh, clever solutions and you know, touching on the security piece of it, right? Um, you know, we didn't want to put hardware out there that has, um, you, know, pa- you know, potentially patient data on there and give people endpoints to take on their home networks. Um, so we found some clever solutions around using uh, there's an operating system called Cloud Ready um, that um, basically turns it into a Chrome OS device that makes it super secure and you can install it on any hardware. Um, so in navigating that to give them their web-based access, their web-based infrastructure um, home, and then supplementing that with some Citrix apps or even just installing the um, installing a Citrix remote desktop BDA on their physical machine in the office to give them that access because right now our our current processes around how we handle user personalization and settings and application installs is not very mature we're working through that it's on our roadmap for the for the immediate future um but just finding clever solutions around you know a how to get hardware um when when everyone in the world needs needs a webcam and needs a 
a laptop and it literally was impossible. So, you know, I think at one point we had three separate orders open with Dell for the same equipment um, just to see which avenue would get it fastest for, for us. And, uh, and just kind of navigating all those challenges, working with our distributors and connections and, um, you know, all types of vendors just to kind of find if we, what hardware we can get and then how do we make that hardware work um, with the least impact to security and, and, and mitigating any risk associated with that. So. All right. Very good. Nick, let's stick with you right here. What does it take to conduct telehealth and virtual visits? As <laughs> There's a distinction there between having employees, like, so for example, IT employees work from home versus do it, conduct, letting physicians conduct a telehealth visit. So you want to break those down a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so conducting telehealth visits, I mean, it takes a, um, it takes a lot, right? Um, so I, I can speak to this firsthand of having been in, in, two a day meetings at one at 7 a.m. and one at 5 a.m. Um, for the better part of, you know, six weeks now, um, just kind of organizing, especially across a big organization and getting a, how do we, how do we do this? You know, what software do we, what technology we do, do we use um, um, to actually get this done? Um, what are the needs? What are the requirements? Um, what do we need from a, from a regulatory and legal perspective, from a teleconsent forms and getting that approval, moving that through the process and understanding that? Thank, thankfully, those uh, regulations and uh, requirements are relaxed during the whole process, um, which, um, which also presents some challenges because then we have, we've had some providers doing, you know, some, some of their own, you know, FaceTimes and just becomes difficult to maintain that, right? Um, and, um, I'm thinking also from an integration perspective, how do you track, how do you track these visits? How do you record this in your central scheduling tool and your EHR? Um, what does that integration look like? Um, and, and then also the coordination throughout all of the business side of it, right? How do you, you know, what are the co-pays look like? What are the reimbursements look like? What are, you know, navigating all of the, all of the challenges and complexity there and getting that in order. Um, and then how do you get this information out um, from a marketing perspective to your patients, how do you make people aware of this? And, and just, just basically, and how do you do it so quickly, right? How do you navigate getting, getting it out there in, in a rapid manner to support say the, the 90, 90%, 85% reduction in patient visits and continue, continue seeing and treating those patients and providing that um, patient care. So um, I would say it just takes a team. It takes communication. It takes collaboration. It takes, you know, it, and it just takes just grit and grind and, and blood, sweat and tears every, you know, any, any piece you want to throw at that and, and just takes coming together and understanding, you know, understanding the challenge and, and, and what, and defining what those requirements are and then just, and just executing. So. Cheryl or Tilden, who wants to jump in there? Sure. You know, one of the things um, about telehealth visits, uh, the systems that, the hospitals install purposely, thoughtfully, strategically are integrated uh, so that the physicians, it really mirrors the physician or the clinical provider's workflow. So the video pops on, they've got their notes, they're looking at the camera, they don't have to manage all the technology. And what's happened during all of this, and, and Nick mentioned uh, the collection of things that they had to put together, um, a lot of organizations are using more than one solution up to, we talked with a customer uh, two days ago that's doing five or six, but it's allowed them uh, to be flexible. So when they go back to, we're going to be in some sort of regular cadence with this, they want the integrated systems, but they also have to have the flexibility uh, for people that have low bandwidth or in areas where uh, you still only have 3G or, or lower uh, tech, uh, bandwidth options. Um, so there are some technologies out there where these video systems have created good algorithms that you can get a good video on a 3G network. So that's something to look forward to uh, when they have time to actually test these. Um, and then the other thing just to consider um, Video conversations are treated just like phone conversations. So it's just a mode of delivering the, the conversation in the, that you can see the person at the other end of the line. But 
the system part of it is that just as if you're talking to them on the phone, you don't have to record the video conversations. That doesn't become part of the record, and that would drive healthcare organizations crazy because of the amount of data it, you would have to have. But um, they're spending more time on, on, again, what Nick mentioned, getting the notes right, making sure that the visit gets recorded, scheduling, and, and other things. But I think there's going to be some happy medium between the really integrated systems and the ones that give them an alternate, you know, plan B uh, technology in case they have lower bandwidth requirements or they have things that um, really have to stretch their capabilities. So then anything you want to add there? Yeah, and I think one of the things that um, what I saw our team doing really well that IT you know, obviously wasn't a direct part of, but we, uh, you know, were able to help them deliver is getting the elder patients comfortable with telemed. Um, a, a lot of them obviously aren't uh, as technical as, you know, younger people are today. So that was a, uh, a thing that I saw uh, us do really well as our marketing team putting together information and um, and getting it out to the, the patients on to getting their comfortability uh, up with telemed, since it's, it is kind of intimidating to kind of get up. And I actually had a telemed session, and I'm fairly technical, but it, uh, definitely some steps to it. Yeah, I would say you're fairly technical, Tilden. I think we could we <laughs> could say that, right, with confidence. Yeah. Um, I want to jump to an audience question because it sort of plays off something um, Cheryl had just said. So, Cheryl, let me read you this question. You could take a first crack at it. One barrier for community health centers to utilize telemedicine is the bandwidth at the patient's location. CHCs mostly serve patients in poor communities and those experiencing homelessness. Uh, how would you recommend helping these types of patients to get access to telehealth? Cheryl, why don't you take a first shot at that? So one of the things that you can draw the parallel to is people that provide home health and hospice, uh, remote situations. Usually the providers go out and they, they have terrible bandwidth where, you know, maybe they have to take a, a, a hotspot with them or something. So there's a couple of options. One, it, as I had mentioned, going uh, looking at those vendors that have um, the algorithm developed so that they can take advantage of low bandwidth situations. Um, the other thing is setting up stations that are in the community. So, for example, at the fire department or at the school, someplace that actually has Wi-Fi that's in the community, um, they can pretty easily uh, commandeer those folks or, or partnering with a business where um, while people can't make it to the clinic or that would not be as safe, uh, what they can do is take advantage of uh, a place that does have the bandwidth. And I think FQHCs and, and community health services um, will find that. Um, maybe it's the uh, local mom and pop uh, convenience store or something like that, but people are willing to drive a little bit and then they don't quite have to worry about the technology. So look at your community. Uh, maybe it's the library. Maybe it's um, uh, your little uh your county government seat office. Um, I, I would take advantage of things that exist instead of having to invent new ones. And it's just driving a little bit different model of the business than is it at my home. Nick, any any thoughts there? Yeah, I would just add. I mean, I, I think I think Cheryl nailed it with her her first her first uh, bullet there too. Is um, you know, choosing a solution that's taking advantage of those and optimizing for for low bandwidth situations. And there's there's a lot of them out there. Um, there there's been some breakthroughs using you know WebRTC technology where um, you can do high quality audio and video right in a browser. No applications need to be installed. And that's kind of what we took advantage for our solution. Is found something very simple that works across a lot of use cases. Um, and, and doesn't take, and, and just hitting on the point that Tilden uh, mentioned about you know, some elderly staff and things like that, it's very easy to use, right? And it's widely, people are widely able to use it across any device. So you don't have to install anything and it just works on low bandwidth. Uh, it has very low bandwidth requirements and works across really any, any scenarios. And we have to, at Springfield Clinic, we support a lot of those rural communities um, um, in the area. So where there's a lot of bandwidth constraints and things like that. And the solution is kind of you know, the solution we chose in that regard um, has really helped out a lot there. So Tilden, anything on that? 
Yeah, I mean, realistically, VDI, right? Something like a frame um, comes into play there because then it doesn't matter what, as long as they have a computer that has internet access and can open a browser, um, you, you've got a solution right there that's extremely secure and uh, very quick to stand up. All right, very good. Um, let's jump on the next audience question. Um, Cheryl, I'm going to pull you up first again on this one. Any thoughts on how long the HIPAA rule relaxation will remain in effect? Any insight on provider organizations' long-term strategy for remote workforce, i.e., will clinical and non-clinical employees return to the office setting quickly, or might the remote worker model, in particular for non-clinical roles, be the long-term approach? So breaking that down a couple ways, um, I think HIPAA is going to come to a compromise. Um, again, uh, part of the ruling is, you know, you don't want somebody doing the Zoom, Zoom bombing or that sort of thing into somebody's video. But if you look, if you guys look at the top corner of your Zoom session here, um, the second little shield in there, it says your client connection is encrypted. I think we're going to see some more of these technologies uh, that come out of the box encrypted. So that would be one thing. Um, and, and I think that's part of this for the video visit. And I, like I said before, the rest of it is a conversation between you and the provider, as long as you're protecting against somebody else listening in. So I think uh, that the HIPAA legislation or the HIPAA ruling is going to be someplace in the middle, not as strict as it was, but it's not going to be, you know, freeform either. So um, people are going to scramble to make sure that they can get the encrypted solutions. And, and as far as people going back and so forth, this is why I love the ability to surge into cloud, cloud-like technology is I think we're going to see this go back and forth. Um, there are some jobs that are being done remotely now that would be better served at the office because uh, truly they still use uh, printing. They might need dual or triple monitors to do their workflows, like billing and coordinating coding and some of these things. Um, so I think there, there is going to be um, a gradual move for people who can move back to, to move I think the other thing is not everybody wants to work at home. They mm -hmm, have the mm -hmm. opportunity to work at home, but how many dogs, you know, dog barks do you have to have? How much, I, I don't, I, you know, everybody's played Zoom bingo where uh, your child runs through and says, mommy can you open this and, and all these things. Those are great. And people put up with that uh, because it's, it's, it's okay. Right. Kids don't have daycares to go to right now. Schools, uh, or being online, I think there's, again, it's going to be happy medium. The technology for this has to be able to surge for capacity, and then it has to be able to come back down, which is what cloud technology does, right? You're able to put things uh, where you need more capacity and, and bring it back. And that's why with uh, our on-premise solutions, you can create that surge capacity, and then you can bring it back down when people are back at home. It also rearranges your resources and you're going to have to watch the licensing too. Remote licensing is different than on-prem licensing. And so you have to balance all of these things as your organization figures out what do we need to do and what is a good mix of these types of working and, um, and how do we accommodate all of it, but we also have to be able to afford it. Wow, really good stuff there, Cheryl. Um, Tilden, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I can speak to a success story on telemed that um, we have. Um, I'm in the Colorado area, and we've got a bunch of clinics in Colorado Springs, and they've been one of the things that we've seen change is the ability to uh, get decisions made and uh, move forward. And they've been trying to do telemed for three years without really success, and then we got it stood up in two weeks for them. Um, but we, I'm also in. Uh, been in a meeting with the chief medical officer for that area and they they're really having a lot of success and they're actually able to see patients that normally have a hard time getting in to the office um, so they're having some real positive aspects come about and what i think we'll end up seeing is um to cheryl's point like a, a happy medium where um 
there is still quite a bit of telemed going on and um, still people coming into the office because I think people enjoy that communication with the doctor in a one-on-one but I also think for for patients that have a hard time being mobile where telemed is going to be a huge win for for those folks. Nick anything there? Yeah uh, you know I I think I think Cheryl hit hit on all all the points um, hit on hit on all those points really well Um, as far as the the HIPAA regulation um, piece it'll be interesting to see how that plays out I think I think um, you know, especially from our perspective is, you know, we have been really factoring that into our design decisions because while it's, while it seems really um, like easy to say, Hey, let's just jump in and use zoom or use this or use that, or, you know, use all these different tools without kind of digging into, is this HIPAA compliant? It's once you implement something, it's very hard to take it away. Right. And, and as, as it's, it's very easy for us to, to meet the demand and the challenges of getting a product out there. Um, taking it away down the line and changing it, it's very difficult once you've prove, proven it to work and people understand it and providers understand it and patients, it's, it's successful, right? Taking it away to, to get some more guidelines and regulatory constraints around it, um, that becomes a challenge. So just walking that line and, and making sure um, that we have, you know, have the ability to tighten it up when, when, those, you know, when those regulatory requirements also tighten up. So. Um, that would be the only point that I would just add there. Um, just making sure you're, you're choosing, you're choosing a solution that can meet those, those stricter requirements down the line. All right, let's get our uh, audience poll out there. So go ahead and answer this. At the start of the pandemic, most health systems did not have a strong enough network infrastructure in place to handle all the things they would need it to support. Um, do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? Again, did not have a strong enough network infrastructure in place. Um, so go ahead and answer that and we will um, take our, let's take another question from the audience. Um, with a potential move to a more robust remote workers model, does the panel feel that this will lead to more offshore outsourcing, outsourcing of healthcare IT roles? Uh, Cheryl? Um, I think this pandemic showed us something that uh, I, I, I think the United States was very ready to handle a lot of remote access for U.S. employees because we had good bandwidth options, even if some places weren't optimal. I think some of the, op- some of the places that are outsourcing candidates have less op- opportunities at their homes for good bandwidth and uh, infrastructure. So I, I don't see it as a bigger move to, to work offshore. What I see is um, with more opportunities to offer remote working in the US and to our own employees, I actually see our workforce opportunities increasing here because that's one of the things that, that people really like is the ability to work from home. Um, but I, I, I think I've seen a, in several cases with several of our customers, their offshore people aren't working right now, but onshore here, um, we were able to accommodate more people. All right. Very good. I want to, uh, let's uh, look at the poll uh, quickly. Let's take a guess. Let's have our, our panelists guess. This is one of my favorite things here. So, um, Tilden, what do you think the results are on this poll? Give me a breakdown percentage-wise. I think the majority would say that uh, did not have. Uh, so they would agree. Everything majority agree. agree. Yeah. You're going to give me a number. Give me a number. <laughs> uh, seventy-four. All right. So Tilden's at seventy-four. <laughs> Cheryl. I was going seventy-five, but he hit seventy-four. I'm okay with that. Seventy-four could be better. All right, so you're going 74. So you're with Nick. What do you got? Is this like the Price Is Right or whoever? Like what? No. The rules here. (laughs) I haven't thought it out that far, but let's just (laughs) let me know. Let me know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be a. um, So I would say about. Um. I would say. I would say probably about 85%. I would say it's probably strongly, strongly agree. Yeah. So that's gonna be uh, Nick's the winner. It's uh, 81% agree. Nick is the winner, but it was close. It was close. So, yeah. 
Uh, let me just share those results. Um, okay, let's see if we can bang through a couple of more questions. I'll just have one of you answer each of these. Tilden, I'm going to go with you on this one. What cleanable revisions have you made or will you make to continue operations once workers return to the facilities? I'm sorry, could you repeat the first part? I missed that. What cleanup or revisions have you made or will you make to continue operations once workers return to the facilities? Well, as far as uh, IT concerned, a, a lot of cleanup. We've had to extend a lot of old systems, uh, stuff running on 2008, R2. Um, I think I think there'll be a lot of, of, of good changes, but uh, definitely a lot of cleanup in the IT uh, realm of things. Um, I think Nick and Cheryl both mentioned a, a, a lot of people have jumped on a lot of different technologies that might not have been the best choice, um, but maybe the only choice or the easy choice um, to make just to, to, to get through the COVID-19 crisis. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot, um, a lot of cleanup, uh, a lot of changes, but I think what it will have done and has done in a lot of ways for us is given us a good path forward and understanding uh, what that is going to look like. And, um, and once again, being able to have those decisions made and like with telemed, now it's in place, it's not going to get taken away. So there's going to be uh, some good things like that that'll take place as well. All right. I want to jump to our ASCII co-panelists and I want like Cheryl to go. Cheryl, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Yeah, so um, as we're looking, you know, at business continuation was one thing um, of how do you get back. Uh, when when you your state started with uh, shelter in place or so forth, did you follow a disaster recovery business continuation plan or did you just shoot off the cuff? I'll go ahead and answer that one first. Um, it, um, so, uh, you know, have, being new to the organization and, um, you know, Springfield Clinic has gone through quite a transition over the last uh, few years from growing from, um, it's been around for 80 years, but it's kind of grown from a, a mom and pop operation to, um, to what it is today, 50, 60 locations without, you know, without maturing a lot of these enterprise processes. Um, so I think being that, being new to the organization and not having a formalized, you know, agreed upon regular process in place. We've had to kind of shoot from the cuff a little bit, um, but I think that's shaped the outline of what we need to do for the future. Um, and it's given us a, a trial run at, at what, how we need to execute in these BCP plans and, and, and even our disaster recovery plans. And, and it's shown light on the value so that when we go to the board and you know the, the, the leaders of the organization, the CEO and, and lay out, hey, we need to, we need X amount of funds to, to get us a, a, a better BCP infrastructure and a DR infrastructure and uh, build out our data center and our remote capabilities. You know, there's a mutual understanding of the value of that. It's not like, why do we ever need that? And, and I think healthcare is very cost conscious as an, as an industry is very cost conscious. Um, but I think this, this whole situation is going to, is going to help drive that forward and the value and understanding of how, you know, how this all comes into play. So. Tilden. Yeah, we're kind of in the same position. So um, this company has grown through M&A, so there's not there's not been a lot of standardization. And I'm actually in the middle of a project to con do consolidation standardization for all what we call care delivery organizations that are located across the country. So definitely a lot of um, shooting from the hip, um, just coming up with stuff as we go. And we're in the middle of creating that business continuity and DR and what that looks like. And, you know, that's a huge undertaking. So, yeah, we're kind of in the same same position as Nick. Cheryl, we're just about out of time. I want to give you a chance to offer a last word and uh, around this this idea, the concept. So the concept is that we don't know where we are in this pandemic, but you get the feeling we might be just over the curve, right? Hopefully, you know, things could come back and all that, but you get the feeling it's possible the worst is over. Um, as an IT leader at a healthcare organization, what's your advice for those folks? Um, does that affect what they're doing today, the things they're investing in, the plans they're making? You mentioned the concept of invest so you have flexibility, 
right? Leverage the cloud, and then you'll be ready for anything. So just your thoughts around that before we, before we end, end our uh, webinar today. And that's what I was, you know, as you started to uh, talk, Anthony, that's one of the things is you have to be flexible because one size doesn't fit all. Um, while you might have your EHR has all the right capacity because you're really, you're switching your visits. Um, some of these other services like the front end services like VDI, you don't have the capacity. So having technology that is flexible to grow and surge with you as well as uh, having technology that you can put back to a regular uh, capacity um, is super important. So I see uh, a, a couple of things and whether it's um, using public cloud, using your on-prem cloud, using software as a service, this whole idea of having a, a multi-cloud environment allows you to uh, increase where you need to uh, and, and you understand the costs associated with it at the same time when you uh, reduce services in one area and you can move them to another, uh, it brings your costs back in line with what you're used to with your on-premise technology. So I think that's it. It's being flexible where you can because I don't think we're quite able to plan for this, but we should be tracking everything that we're doing so that we know that we have capacity for 5,000 visits, virtual visits a week. And we know that we have capacity for 6,000 employees to be working at home. So I, I think that's really paying attention, uh, understanding how the uh, behavior of an organization changes, what you can afford um, and, and what operating uh, normally also looks like. Excellent. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck for your CEU needs. You'll get an email when the recording of this event is uh, ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor one of our upcoming events or book a custom event, you could reach out to Nancy Wilcox and you can go to our website to register for our upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank this great panel. Very, very exciting and lively talk. Nick Fuchs, Tilden Canaster. Cheryl Roddenfelds, and I want to thank Nutanix very much for sponsoring this event and making it possible. And I want to thank you, our attendees, for joining. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.